Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, Achtung, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. James, uh, I understand you're transmitting from some uh, secure hidden location, is that right? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm in a, um, on, an, on a small island in the Ionian Sea, looking yeah. out at the, uh, the dark blue hills of Epiros, mountains of Epiros on the Greek mainland, which is very exciting because, of course, it's a scene of, of much warfare and violence it, in the Second is World War. Um, is it all inclusive secret location? It's um well it's 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 uh, self catering of... secret location. It's not a self it's very much self catering. It's very much self catering, but it is a it is a lovely location. It's it's great mate of ours from from home in the Chalk Valley. Oh, um, nice. and um and Frankie is um actually he's a rather amazing uh, songwriter. Um, oh. He's written all sorts of hits for all sorts of incredible people, including oh. the only number one by Queen um, after the death of Freddie Mercury. And it was really? that single they did about about Freddie Mercury. These are the days of our lives. No, it wasn't that one? It wasn't, one. wasn't it? I thought it was. Well, maybe it was. I don't know. Anyway, he wrote okay. that song. Uh, anyway, it's his place, his and his wife's place, and they very they obviously for obvious reasons don't come here in August because <laughs> it's <laughs> unbelievably hot with lots of mosquitoes and vast numbers of British tourists. But apart from that, it's absolutely beautiful and um, lots of sort of twinkly Mediterraneans. I've, I've been getting up every morning and, and swimming in the sea every morning, taking oh. myself off before anyone else emerges. It's been rather nice. Very good. Excellent. You've been emerging like Aphrodite in a shell every morning, have you? <laughs> yes, exactly. Sort of chastely kind of putting a hand over my nipples. <laughs> Now, there's an image for anyone. Yeah, there's an image. Anyway, how anyway, about you? What have you been up to? Because um, uh, 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 I haven't seen uh, you since We Have Waste Fest. No, no, and it, exactly. And we haven't we haven't really spoken properly. Um, I've uh, oh, I've been doing all sorts of stuff, and I did a gig with um, with my daughter Willow on Saturday. Yes, night, I saw that. How did that go? Yeah, brilliant. She's, she's she brilliant. of the she of the of the of the beautiful voice. I mean, you know, she's got a voice like a siren, hasn't she? She's it's ridiculous. Amazing. I, I I've never been so beautiful. I've never been in a band with anyone this good before, which is which is rather. <laughs> Which is rather, you know, I've, I hope any anyone in any band I've been in before doesn't listen to this because they'll go, "All oh, right, oh, I see." Oh, she's thanks a, very much, Al. She is yeah, truly but amazing. she is. She's got an amazing voice. She really, really then, has. Because I'm at the back behind the drum set. I, she does. She 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 plays all. You know, plays out all the songs as she sings them. So I miss all that. I just see the back of her head. So I don't. I don't get to. I don't get to watch the show. But there we are. That that, that that's a small price to pay. Anyway, so you're you're in Greece. I've been. I, I've. I got well. We should first of all we should talk about the festival because we haven't discussed the festival. Well, yeah, br- a, br- yeah, a brief wash up, I think. Um, yeah. um, a great time is had by all. I mean, <laughs> the, the kind of overwhelming sense I got was just how lovely everyone was again. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, we knew that last year everyone was going to be kind of on side because most of the, all the people there were people who were members of, of the Patreon Independent yeah. Company. But yeah. this year was a kind of sort of you know it, it was open to all and it, it wasn't just yeah. IC. And, you know, you're always a bit nervous, aren't you? That You know, people are going to get a bit snotty. They've sort of paid well, a bit of money to come. And, you know, are, you know, is it all going to live up to the billing and all that kind of yeah. stuff? But yeah. it's just, it's amazing. I've never been to an event where there's been such a kind of, sort of big love. It's just, it was just, it was wonderful. Well, well what I, I mean, 
I I was a bit nervous because it because it was only the last one was only September. And I thought, is there any way we you know? I I got on the site and I thought, oh, the, we're back again. Oh God, already. And I was thinking, is this going to work? And uh, uh, are we going to have the same vibe? Because last the September one was very much at a sort of post lockdown demob kind of vibe. Yes. Um, and I thought, well, we're obviously we're going to have to do without that. That won't be there. That can't be there. So we'll do without that. But I I I really enjoyed it. And the and I know <laughs> I know a lot of people have gone. Oh God, I couldn't go to all the talks I wanted to go because they all clashed. That's kind of the idea. We, we kind of, I don't mind. I don't mind a tiny bit of FOMO. I don't mind people having to make up their minds about what they want to watch because we want to lay on so much stuff. And the talks, all the talks I saw, were were absolutely fascinating. Um, the 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 we've already we, we've already put it out. The um the the one with uh, civilian John, army. Yeah, God, I mean. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, and yeah, also yeah. to hear people people who know their brief that way, slightly disagreeing with each other, but being but being kind of polite. You know, at one point Daniel said, "I don't want to have this argument again that we've been having for the last five years." And you think, "All oh, right, okay." Academic, Jonathan, cud- but- academic, yeah, academic cudgels come out now. You know, like, <laughs> well, sort of I was struck by yeah. that. I was struck yeah. by that. I, I I thought it was lovely that. First of all, you know, one of the things that's been really nice over the past sort of, particularly the past ten, five, ten years for me, yeah. has been, you know, making some really, really good friends within yeah. the historical Second World War firmament fraternity, yeah. and that's inevitable because you're going to sort of bump into people. But you know, people like PCA, um, you yeah. know, he's he's a he's a great old mate of mine, Alex Ritchie, yeah. Steve Prince. Yeah. You know, these are these are really, really good pals, um, yeah. and. Since the um, start of the podcast, I've, you know, we've, we've made other friends, you know, Jonathan Fennell, Dan Todman, um, but also, um, you know, amazing people like John McManus. Yeah. Um, and, and Mike Nyberg. He wasn't here this year, but, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure we can get another another time. Yeah. Now, these have all become friends, and, and it was just lovely to see them all at the festival, along with Catcher and Catherine yeah. Himmler and... Various other great and the good and 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 then other sort of you know people who are sort of emerging as historians people like Andy Aitchison and and yeah. and Chat Sandy Chatterton um, people like that and and it's just really lovely to be able to kind of spend time with these people and and learn from them and yeah. pick up on the amazing work that they're doing and and just feel like you I mean I just I don't know about you but I just I just get feel so hungry for all this information I just kind of you yeah. know it, it's this it is this incredible bottomless pit isn't it the subject matter yeah. but 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 when you're there you can't help you don't feel daunted by that at least I don't I just feel excited by all this stuff there is still to learn you know I think it's, well I mean I, 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 amazing. I come back to that thing that 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 really the only way to approach this is as as is is that you're trying to learn from it because there's no way you can know it all it's it, it it's that 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 there are there are people who are experts, but essentially, like a, a total expertise of this subject is a, is a is a mirage. It's impossible. There's just so there's so much to 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 uh, accumulate and fit in, and then so many other ways. I mean, what I really what I really liked about the citizen soldiers thing is is that chat. Is it wasn't about and I, and I I do love talking about the technology, and I do love talking about. Um, I am just in battles and how people make decisions and how people, but but really, the sim the the the, the idea of how you get how do you get a population to fight, is such a sort of profound question, that 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 if you don't and and that so often you know in all a lot of stuff I've read it isn't in the isn't 
weighed in in the consideration at all of what's going on. What, how you've actually motivated people. I mean, it's really interesting when I, I, you know, I asked a question at the end and Jonathan, Jonathan's suggestion was, you know, because I said the Germans have been thinking about going to war and they said they've got a head start. He said, well, you look at, you look at the, their diaries from 1940. They're not saying, oh, our brilliant new techniques we've come up. They're just literally, should we keep going? Yeah, why not? Um, We'll push on then. That there's not, but, 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 but the difference is, I think, that he was suggesting is that they've been, they're up for it. They're motivated to fight, so they find fighting easier in a way that, you know, the British it takes the British plenty of time to figure out how to be motivated to fight. And that's the, you know, the chicken and the egg sort of situation. But but the, you know, that's the thing that doesn't really get talked about much. Not on a, like, reading the morale port reports way. There's Churchill going, why can none of these buggers fight? But that, but he never, you know, he never offers answers in his histories. He never, you know, it's just the generals are useless or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, I, do. And, I do. But also, I remember from a joke, I remember reading, I think he's called Siegfried Napper, uh, something like that. <laughs> and he was an artilleryman who joined in yeah. 1938. And the reason he joined the artillery is because he kept seeing on the kind of newsreels and kind of, you know, uh, on the sort of Nazi chit-chat WhatsApp group, effectively, from yeah. the 1930s. Lots of stuff about kind of, you know, sexy new um, um, SPs, you know, self-repelled yeah. guns and things on tracks and stuff. So anyway, so he joins the artillery, all kind of absolutely, you know, bristling with excitement about being at the cutting edge of the new yeah. new military technology. The first thing he's asked to do is clear out the stables. And yeah. he thinks, hang on a minute, what's this all about? And basically he spends a whole war kind of sort of pushing a wagon, and, you know, and a, and a horse and cart. So, well, yeah. that's a, but that's a tale as old as time. You join the army to do one thing and end up shoveling shit. So, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> but but it, was just, it was just interesting that, you know, he had joined the army because of the, because yeah. of the, um, the, the, the shiny new... Um, um, equipment, but but it wasn't <laughs> forthcoming. But but yeah, no. I mean, I thought I thought it was great, and I also, but I did also love, I also love the fact that you you've got these amazing academics there, and amazing historians who you know, and that, that civilian army one was a, was a showcase of three people who were absolutely at the yeah. top of their game. Yeah, but you've also got different expertise, you know, whether it be Keith Brigstock or whether it be Tobin Jones yeah. and, and yeah. Tom Cunningham Crawford, you know, they really know what they're about. And you're yeah. you're tapping yeah. into that very kind of specialised knowledge. I mean, what, yeah. what Keith doesn't know about artillery in the Second World War is kind of frankly not no, worth knowing. Right. But, it, you know, he's amazing. not an academic, but but he's, yeah. he's, he's applying that practical thing. And I think what's exciting about... about the way we look at the Second World War is is combining those those different disciplines and going thinking outside outside of the box a little bit. She's a cliche, but yeah. not just looking at kind of academic work, but also looking at more kind of you know practical side of things as well, and and you know putting it all into the mix, and it yeah. gives you a much more sort of complete picture. But anyway, yeah. it, was, it was great fun. I I, I really enjoyed yeah, it. Actually. I, and I'm rather with you. I enjoyed it more than more this year because I felt just a little bit more relaxed about it. Yeah, I was I I was I enjoyed it much more than last year because last year I was basically nervous about the whole thing. Um, would would it would it would it even work? Would they all show up? Would it rain? Whereas this year I was thinking that those things that those things are I'm all right with those things. I mean the other the, I, I I have to say I mean again it, it is. Because John McManus, he, he he remarked, he said to me, you know, I can't believe it, the sort of enthusiasm for the subject here, the, 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 the excitement, of, you know, these people really are, they're properly interested, all every single one of them, you know, and, and, and that enthusiasm is infectious. I, th I think that that's definitely the case. And I, and I um, you know, uh, again, it feels like, we're, it did feel, again, like we had lightning in a bottle, really. And um, uh, uh, obviously we're going to have to do it again. 
Holy moly. That's not really? an official, that is not an official announcement, by the way. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, um, so you're in, you're in, you're in Greece. I might be off to France again. So I've been reading, I've got, got this book um, by a, um, an author called Jean-Luc E. Catron, um, or Catron. I don't know if he's American or French because, because it's written in this quite odd, um, uh, He's an American from New Mexico, but he's from from France, essentially. About that chap Charbonnier, who I discovered in... Um, oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's called So Close to Freedom. It's a World War II story of peril and betrayal in the Pyrenees. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, fantastic. It's absolute... It's the, the detail this guy's gone into. And basically, he's done the, he's done the thing of going, I'd heard about this... I'd heard a bit about it, and there were there were some things in a newspaper, and there was a story of someone, an author died before she revealed who she discovered was the person who'd betrayed these people. Blah, deathbed confessions, all this. Because okay, right, I will apply being a history professor to the to the um, subject, and it is absolutely fascinating. You've got so basically, there's this when Charbonnier is killed on the um, uh, 14th of June, I think, um, in in uh, La Roque, when he's caught up with by um, the people from Das Reich, soldiers from Das Reich, and, and killed with, with uh, Fresco and the third guy, which we talked about before, he's got a big posse yes, of what was people. the third guy called again? Um, he had another really fantastic name. Charbonnier. is also berserk. But basically, so what he's done with this book is he's found he's working his way through everyone that was in that escape party. The last escape party that, that was regarded as too large when it came to, to trying to get these people over the Pyrenees. It probably it, was. And it probably was. Right. So you've got an American uh, uh, guy in a B-17 who shot down on a big week raid um, on his on his way back, over, shot down over France. Right. And and then a must, a Mustang pilot who on his first sortie where they're allowed to peel go off and strafe low level he's hit bails out um, comes down somewhere the French civilians direct the German he can see looking for him he's coming down on his parachute he can see a German sort of doing this because there's a plane crashing and the, and as he lands he sees these French civilians going no he went that way like that and they hide him in a loft and hide his uh, parachute and everything. And then, and then a, a bloke shot down um, a British uh, uh, bomber command guy who shot down um, uh, in a Lancaster on his way back from Augsburg. It's all in February of forty-four, uh, 44. and he he is a replacement crew member, right? So he's shot down. Um, he can't find anyone else, uh, any of the other crew. He's been told, and he's right by a railway. His train's going by, and he and he's been. They've been told that railway workers. Um, are probably in the Mackey and are probably worth, you know, sort of touch it, hitting up for um, uh, for sanctuary. So he walks along the railway line. He finds some railway workers. He introduces himself to one who doesn't speak any English. Um, the bloke says, all right, then you, you come home with me. Right. So he trusts him. He goes home with them. They get into his house and the bloke. The, Seemed like they, a they, nice bloke. They pigeon English there or somehow communicate. They give him something to eat. And then they say, um, and you'll be sleeping in this bed tonight. And he's like, oh, thanks very much. And then the, uh, and the, and the, the guy's wife shows him how to use the, um, the uh, chamber pot, demonstrates how to pee in the chamber pot, does a little mime for him. Then he gets into the bed and then they get in the bed with him because there's only one bed in the house. And he spends the first night 
on <laughs> evading um in in the bed with the with the railway worker and his wife the next morning they they do him up as a they decide they dress him up as a railway worker they say he's a painter and they say that he's deaf and so many of these guys get about being deaf and have to play. <laughs> There's an absolute explosion in deaf people in. Yeah, exactly. So they. <laughs> so basically, in 1944. And one of these American guys, he's he he. They go on about how how well he handles it because he just doesn't. He acts like he the German asking him for his papers. He hasn't even heard him. He doesn't. He just completely blanks him. Completely ignores him when the German when the you know German official is asking for his papers. And that guy is very interesting. One of the Americans, um, the the, the person who's helping him evade. Um, his wife has a name that passes for a man's name as well. It's like a, a French name that could be either. Like so he Evelyn travels. Or something. Yeah, exactly. So he travels round on the on the wife's papers, being the, being his his helper's brother, and so that so and these people all end up graduating, uh, uh, sort of coagulating down towards. Is that the right word? No, percolating, yeah, yeah. percolating right. towards towards Toulouse, where the there's the Paris Dutch escape line out of Toulouse, which is the thing that connects them to Charbonnier and him getting out of the country. But there's just some detail, absolutely fascinating. The Americans, uh, the American airmen, in the estimation of the uh, of the escape line people, find the escaping more difficult, right? Because they've all got nice shoes and the nice shoes all fall apart, right? Because they're not good enough for a long trek. And then they're because they're bigger than everyone else, their feet are too big, and you can't get walking boots for them. And so, isn't that interesting? Like, so of course, their, a it just all makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yeah, a big part of their effort is trying to get hold of a couple of pairs of walking boots a week, wherever they can scrounge them to get onto American feet, because the Americans have bigger feet than everyone else. And you've got this, you've got all, you know... Because they're all six foot and got squares exactly. and great they're teeth. Better, better, and they're better fed, so they're used to eating better, so they find they find the sort of the, the, the hard uh, graft of the escape walks more difficult because they're bigger lads. Sometimes right? it works against you being healthy. I know, and being from well, a modern or, world, or, or, and being and being well fed, and, and all that sort of thing. It's absolutely, <laughs> absolutely fascinating. Amazing. So, and where's getting... all the research come from, though? Where, where, where? Well, this where, guy, where... this guy, this guy, he's just, he's just. I mean, uh, I haven't looked at the notes, the, the sources yet, but he's he's burrowed into tons of newspaper articles. You know, Canadian news, because because of course there's bomber command guys who are Canadian and Australian, so he's been gathering the stories together from all over the Commonwealth. Amazing. To to, to piece this stuff together, and it and it. It really, really is interesting, and this so this fellow Berserk Charbonnier, you know, he's a he's a medical student in the in the thirties, and he's regarded as the big joker in in his medical school in Toulouse. He's regarded as like like he's he's seen as the sort of um, big man on campus. He's a bit of a laugh and all this sort of thing. And then he's completely enraged by the Spanish Civil War. In his in his in his holidays, he goes mountaineering in the Pyrenees. But what 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 I didn't realize is that the Gestapo have an office in Barcelona and the, the, Spanish are, the Spanish are fully sort of snuggled up to the Germans and are arresting evaders the other side and then sending them back over the Pyrenees, or sending them back to, back to the Germans. So you can still, even if you get over the border, and there's one really brilliant bit where one of the British airmen is a geologist, right? And the guide says, right, we're in Spain now. And he looks at the rocks and he goes, no, we're not. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes, no, we are there's not a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a very famous theatre in, in Barcelona, which is where all the Nazis used to go and watch um, Wagner operas, which the, which the 
Spanish have put on yeah. to kind of, you know, show the, fir- the first ever um, performance of Parsifal um, yeah. outside of Germany was, was p- performed in that theatre in Barcelona. Really? And Goebbels was, was in attendance. Yeah, bastard! Wow, because yeah. because yeah. because the obviously the big thing is infiltration across the uh, you know what's striking about these people trickling their way down France or from Belgium because there's a, there's a fellow coming from Belgium and there's Dutch people all all joining into this sort of this pool of people who are going to be in this escape is that you you inevitably you come into contact with an awful lot of people on your way to uh, the the railhead in um, in either in Tarbes or Foix or Boulogne-sur-Gesse. Or, or, or those places that on your way down you come into contact with a lot of people so there are an awful lot of points of contact where you could be betrayed and where strange behavior would draw attention to itself and all this sort of stuff so you can see really why perhaps these escape lines are so vulnerable to um being rumbled because because the the you know you're, you're traveling the length of france essentially especially if you've been shot down in belgium yes, you're, you're, you're going you're going going from there aren't you into into that into yeah. that little, that tiny little funnel. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I mean, it's it's the most it's the most extraordinary story. And I, and uh, what's really been really weird reading it is you know, is is all the all the places all the places I've you know been shopping in. I've got you know gone to the Ypermarché in in Sangadens or whatever. You know all these places, and it's it's populated with all these foothill towns. The story is populated by all these foothill towns in um of the Pyrenees, and it's um, I mean I. I the, the the effort that this fellow berserk put into it he would you know he would take one load of people over trek back pick up the next lot at the rendezvous take them back over trek back you know do do uh, was anyone to, paying him for this or was he just doing it because he just he was do, thing to well do? that's the interesting thing because there is a m- moment where there is a there is a little bit where the, I mean and I'm, I'm halfway through this book so I'm not I, I haven't you know there's one bit where they go yeah the English aren't sending us any money for any of this so um you know you'll be lucky if we get you lucky if we get you out. Um, this month, and what's interesting is that the, the 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 freedom trail, which you can walk in four days, four or five days now, they very often will sit in a cottage with the twenty evaders for a month and wait for the coast to be clear, and then go up and camp up somewhere for a for a couple of weeks and hide out before it's clear to move on. And the Germans have, have got spotter planes up the whole time. They've got people with dogs all over and and are really are really doing everything they can to um to disrupt it uh, uh, you know there's a permanent presence trying to disrupt the evaders oh, it's it's absolutely fascinating and this yeah, guy really berserk, is. this guy berserk got thousands of people out and it's but it's not just airmen it's jews it's uh you know political dissidents it's really he got, pe- but you're talking thousands you're not talking like 50 or 100 no berserk probably got a couple of thousand people out Wow, I mean that's 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 a hell of a lot. You think there's fifty-three yeah. weeks in a year? You're taking out maybe ten at a time. Yeah. Well, he's taking he's taking yes, ten, twenty people in a go, and and the yeah, but even uh, so, and, that's a hell of a lot of trips you've got to make. That's a hundred trips, isn't it? I know. And he's a short, wiry man. They call, one of the Americans calls him the old man because he's greying, but he's only in his, he's in his late thirties. He's greying. He's got funny, snaggly teeth that are yellow because he smokes so much. And clearly, he's he's just devoted to getting people over the Pyrenees out of France. But there's still, there's, there's, I've got two points to this. First one is I still don't understand why Das Reich are there that late in June, 
when they should be in Normandy. Well, I, just don't, been, I, I do not understand it. You know, there should be, what, what's wrong with the Feld Gendarmerie? What's wrong with the occupation forces? There's 200 kind of German police troops, 200,000 German police troops in Germany. I mean, why the hell aren't they doing this job? Well, my second good, question is, question. My, well, my second point really is, we've got to do this freedom trail. Yeah, we do, really. We've got to walk it. We do, really. and um, <clears throat> we'll. But with comfortable we- shoes. With, with, with proper shoes, yes. I mean, so one of them, one of them. You know, I had shoes with wooden soles, and my feet were killing me, and I didn't think I could go on any further. But I went on, and then we went up through the snow, and I was so hungry, I was eating snow. That made me very sick later. That that that. You know, we'll do it. We'll do it in a in a jolly hiking manner, and maybe sleep out a couple of nights. But these guys are. They're, you know, what's interesting is they're always there's always someone who can't do it. There's always someone they have to leave behind. And or, or what they do is one of the guides will take back the the people who can't finish the walk, take them back down to a place like Saint Gaudens or Saint Giron, get them get them healthy again, and then try again. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Incredible, anyway. incredible. Anyway, well, should we take a break and then we'll come back? We'll talk about where you're on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> um, we'll be back in a second. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kaye, US Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics US, brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. of ways to make you talk with me al murray and james holland um james is uh on an exclusive um uh, island Muskeg- hideaway in M- the middle Muskeg- of the Muskeg- island hideaway <laughs> <laughs> with the with the with the blue mountains of eperos in the distance there it is um yeah so yeah. i so for the last month or so i've been doing quite a lot of um 
reading around the Balkans and Greece and because I felt it was this sort of massive hole in my knowledge yeah and goodness me is it fascinating I mean it is really really properly interesting with some incredibly um, yeah. just unbelievable characters it, I suppose it's inevitable isn't it um, you yeah know, you're always going to have these charismatic types who kind of come to the fore um, but the Greek one is is and, and the Balkans one. I mean, it is it is complex, and one of the reasons I think people kind of veer away from it is because they think, well, it doesn't really affect me. Um, you know, it's not in Normandy. It's not kind of you know. There's no direct consequence to yeah, to, yeah. to Britain or to America or Canada or whatever. And you can't read the alphabet easily. And you can't read the alphabet <laughs> uh, easily. Although actually, the Demotic um, Greek language is one of the byproducts of the uh, of the Second World War and the growth of the um, of of um, the EAM and the EALS yep. <laughs> all gets very complicated. They love yeah, acronyms. Yeah. Um, they do. But, but so my, my kind of, sort of starting point with the, with the Greek one was Operation Harling, which is the kind yeah. of first major SOE operation in Greece. Yeah. And this, this basically, basically in the summer of 1942, obviously the British have retreated back to the Alamein line. Yeah. And they know that kind of cutting Rommel's supply lines is absolutely key. So that's one of the great benefits of kind of, you know, getting Malta back on its feet and, yep. you know, which is coming up to the feast day of um, of, of Santa Maria, the kind of famous yep. anniversary of um, the 80th yep. anniversary of, of Operation Pedestal. And actually, we should do something on that, shouldn't we? Yeah, we ought to. Uh, um, but because but, that's for next week. Oh, Jesus. Well, maybe we could do that next Monday <laughs> or something. Anyway, um, but but... So they, they, that that's very successful, and they sink those those six oil tankers. But they're also thinking, well, hang on a minute, you know, eighty percent of his supply lines is actually coming most of his supplies, although they're coming in in ship via kind of southern Greece and Italy. Yeah, they've got to get to those ports in the first place, and where they're coming down through is down through the Balkans, going through Salonika down to yep. down to Piraeus. Yep. And the only way you can do that is by railway. And there's one single line that's going down there. And these trains are going back and forth with him and sort of juggling every 20 minutes. Yep. So that is a kind of indication of just how much the Germans are, the Axis forces are dependent on railways. But it's yep. also, it shows you, um, you know, it's obviously a massive vulnerable weak spot in terms of well, their that's communications. A, that, that's, a, that's an opportunity right there, surely. That's uh, Sure, exactly. And, and that's... And, a, and this is a viaduct, right? Because we've talked about we've talked about well, the there's aqueduct. Well, there's three viaducts. There's three viaducts. Right. Okay, but we've because we've talked about the aqueduct. Um, uh, oh yes, Colossus. Colossus. <laughs> yeah. Um, and previous attempts to sort of magic bullet your way to disrupting the Axis warfare. You know, it's a silver bullet, right. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. This, this is like yeah, if, yeah, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. If you're only going to so destroy if you, this. If you, yeah, yeah, exactly. You cut, you cut the communication lines. Rommel's not going to get his oil from from Greece because we're going to sink the ships. But also, he's not even going to get them to load well, on I mean, the ships in the first place because exactly, it's Rommel's umbil- umbilical cord. You cut that, the baby dies. Job done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. and we went to Alamein and all the rest of it. Yeah. The problem is they don't really know much about Greece and what's oh. going on in Greece. Oh, really? What a surprise! Oh, oh God. <laughs> All they know is that you know they left Crete and you know tells between their well they left the you know the forty two thousand three hundred eleven or whatever it was that was evacuated from from Greece in uh, on the end of April, yeah, um, um, was then followed by kind of obviously the evacuation of Greece uh, of Crete rather a month later, yeah, and since then you know what they've had is they've had a handful of kind of SOE operatives kind of sort of tentatively kind of working around but not really sort of getting a kind of handle on what's going on, yeah. And they've got SOE in Cairo, who are frankly pretty clueless 
on what's going on around them just because they don't have the comms. They don't have the intelligence. The intelligence that's coming out of Greece is very, very complicated because it's coming from the mountains into Athens and Piraeus and then being radioed out to somewhere else or taken by message by a little boat or whatever. And by the time it gets to Cairo, it's kind of sort of Chinese whispers and it's completely and changed. Right thinking, I'm right in thinking there are communists, there are monarchists, there are well, um, uh, yes. otherists, there are yes. um, Greek nationalists, there are... Yes. You know, people who just want want to um, have a war with Turkey. Um, <laughs> Actually, no, that's the one thing no one wants anymore in Greece. Well, no, no, exactly. like, oh, well, no one wants war with Turkey any, anymore. But there was there was a time where that was there um, was a time was quite the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so there were, were all, all of that, and I think it's worth us. We'll go back to that. Yeah. I think because it is you really. This is one of the things I've discovered having read about this. You really, really have to do quite a deep dive backwards to kind of be able to make sense of what on earth is going on in the Second World War in Greece. But anyway, so so SOE mounts this operation. It's called Operation Harling, and it's, the whole plan is just is to have these these this umbilical cord cut completely before Operation Alamein. You know, before Alamein yeah. is is yeah. is launched in the third week of October. So the whole plan yeah, yeah. to do it was to do sometime in September, kind of early October, something like that. Anyway, so they set up these various groups, and one of them is by a guy called Colonel Eddie Myers, who's a who's a Royal Engineer, joined the SOE. Um, there's another one is his deputy is a chap called uh, Christopher Montague Woodhouse, and Monty Woodhouse, who's a kind of wrote a very famous book, which I think is out of print, which we should rapidly get back into print, frankly. Um, and, and then there's another guy called Dennis Hampson. You know, these are all SOE operatives out there, but 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 yeah. Myers is the guy who's put in charge. And they have these three landing groups who kind of and basically they identify there's three potential viaducts. Yep. There's the Gorgopotamus, there's the Asopos, <laughs> and there's the Papadia. These three viaducts going between Salonica and Piraeus. Can I just feast on your pronunciation there for a minute of the yes, Gorgopotamus? Yeah. I mean, that, that, the Gorgopotamus. The, the Gorgopotamus is next door to the, um, uh, rap, the Velociraptor, the Natural History Museum, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, and wallowing in mud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so they, they, they head off there and, and um, they're expected... What they, they do know about um, um, a, a resistance leader called Napoleon Zervas, uh, well, and they've heard about on. him. I mean, that, 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 that name alone, you know, you're going to back Napoleon Zervas, aren't you? you? Of course you are, of course you are. <laughs> so they get out there. So Mars gets out there and there's absolutely no sign of, of, of Zervas anywhere near. Um, and Woodhouse gets out to he he gets dropped north of just north of of, of Athens. Their radios are dis. Yeah. Again. Yep. So they then have to sneak into Athens <laughs> clandestinely to make their radio message back to SOE Cairo to say yeah yep. everything that you thought was gonna that we thought basically our intelligence brief our orders brief is basically entirely fictitious. There's not a single bit of it that bears any resemblance to, to reality whatsoever, apart from the fact that these three viaducts do exist. Every yep. single thing else is 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 basically totally wrong. They, they they then he then managed Woodhouse's group then manages to meet up with Eddie Mars's group and they yeah. think okay chats well let's just push north and we'll we'll, we'll do a recce. It then takes them five weeks to meet up with Zervas. They're five kind of sort of weeks. On, five weeks to meet up with Zervas. Jesus and Christ. Yes, 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 um, and <laughs> and um, and. Um, they then meet up with this um, with this other guy 
called Aris. Um, oh God, what's his name? It's, 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 I've been. Re- you can tell I've been really struggling with these. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> with these incredible names. Okay, so his real name is Phanasis Claris, but his nom de guerre is Aris, Aris. Velushotis. Okay, and the key feature about Napoleon Zervas and Aris uh, Velushotis is, like all resistant leaders, they have to have massive beards right, and huge right. barrel chests. Love so this is actually. absolutely kind of par for the course, and both of them do. Basically, they look, they look exactly the same, but they couldn't be more different. Right. Anyway, what they then realise, having got in here, got, got, got to these places and hooked up with Zervas, is that actually there's not one... There's not a load of sort of disparate apolitical bands. There are two movements... Yep. There is ELAS, E-A-M. E-A-M is the kind of political part of it, which is is yep. the kind of sort of, you know, grace for everyone. It's the National Liberation Front, but it's communist, right? Uh, it's communist in its heart. But yeah, what yeah. they're trying to do in the Second World War is they're trying to, they're trying yeah. to appeal to a broad national unity yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. But the problem is, is you're either kind of sort of um, very monarchist and yeah. conservative and right-wing... Yeah. Or you're communist. Yeah. Although actually within Elas and Eam there are there are lots of people who are neither. Yeah, of course. But 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 E D E S has been formed. Yeah. Which is another armed unit. National which Republican is... Greek League. Right. <laughs> but these are Venezuelists. So this right. is why we need to know about Venezuelos. Um <laughs> but Venezuelos is is a kind of, sort of Republican movement, anti monarchist movement, but it's it's attracting people who don't want to be commie but aren't rabid royalists so either. So they're, they're centrist dads. <laughs> they're centrist dads. It's exactly what they are. They're, 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 they're lily-livered centrists, but actually there's nothing <laughs> lily-livered about Napoleon. I know, you look at the photos of all. these guys. There's photos of these guys. These are some of the... These are some of the toughest centrists you'll ever run well, into. Well, anyway. let me tell you, let me tell you. So, so anyway, let me tell you about, about, about Aris. So, yeah. so Aris is... Is an extraordinary character. I mean, he, yeah. he he's one of the great men of Greece's Second World War. Yeah, but he's also a total bastard. Yeah. Um. And and do you want to know what Dennis Hansen said about about him? No, go on. Dennis Hansen described him as the most ruthless man I have ever met, the most <laughs> cold-blooded, the cruelest. He was an ex-schoolmaster, sentenced in Greece for homosexual offences and trained in the Moscow School of Communists. An intelligent, able man with no heart, without human pity, an excellent psychologist, a fanatical leader of men. Oh, wow, wow. So you cross him and there's, 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 a, there's a character reference, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so that's him. And yeah. basically... What's developing here is is the kind of the first Greek civil war, first but part one of the Greek civil war, which obviously yeah, yeah. extends post war. Yeah, yeah. The part one is in the is in the kind of you know late nineteen forty three into nineteen forty four, nineteen forty two. What the what the SOE try to do is they say, okay, service, okay, Aris, let's work together on this yes, one. Great, to the greater this good. Thing. The greater good is the is, the greater is, good. And on this particular different. occasion, and literally because because it's still early days, this is nineteen forty two. Yeah. Yeah. Aris and Zervas go, do you know what? Okay, we will. We'll, 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 we'll work together on this. Yeah. Now, the, the assumption is that they are doing this on the assumption, yet again, that their allies are going to come to their rescue and invade yeah. Greece. Oh, no. Oh, no. Whereas, obviously, Hansom and Eddie 
Myers and Monty Woodhouse all know that that Perfectly isn't going to happen. Well. Yeah, yeah. They know that that's not going to happen. What they're doing is they've been asked to set up resistance to draw in German troops and also extend their own British sphere of influence in the Mediterranean because yeah, yeah. Of, you know that, and that's historical because of uh, because of the Mediterranean fleet and all the way back to Napoleonic times etc etc etc. But it's also because Greece is seen to be sort of southern European very much in the western sphere rather than the kind of you know Eastern European sphere. Yeah. Um, and, and because Churchill has... As a romantic um, idea about Greece and its location in um, Western culture and democratic ideas and all that sort of thing, yeah. All that sort of stuff, but also because it's a monarchy. Yeah. And the monarchy is actually a Northern European monarchy, even though it's Greek. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah, not they're Greek German, at all. They're, German, they're, from, they're, German, they're German, German and Danish. And yes, and of course, they all, have, they all have actual links to the British royal family. So there is that kind of personal thing. And, you know, the British royal family abandoned the Tsar, but they're not going to do it to the Greeks and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's all that kind of that, that stuff. It's not, it's not kind of, you know, it's not, it's not a make or break factor, but it's a factor. Yeah. So all this stuff is going on on the background, which is why Britain wants to be so involved. And what they really want to do is make, avoid it becoming communist. They don't want any part of kind of Western Europe becoming communist. Yeah, yeah. Which is why they take the actions they do in Italy, which is another story. But but this is why. And, but they don't really care about the Balkans. So Churchill doesn't give a shit about the Balkans at all. No. I mean, Yugoslavia, for what was yeah, Yugoslavia. Yeah, yeah, because it, it he's, got, he's got that sort of this... Um, it produces more history that can it, it can cope with all that whole idea of the of, of the place, doesn't it? There's just no point, no point getting stuck in because it'll only go badly for you. So he's that, that's that's his that's his view, isn't it? Whereas Greece has got Greece occupies. Uh, I mean, it it's got all this all these things going for it, but they're still not going to invade and kick the Germans out. So uh, yeah, exactly, so. exactly. So so guess when it is that they finally get around to blowing up these. These, well, it's this. going to be well. Given the five weeks um, trekking around uh, Greece, it's going to be after Alamein, isn't it? It's after Alamein. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not, not until the twenty second of November do they decide that the Gorgopotamus um, is the one of the three that offers the best opportunities for for uh, yeah. for for success. And they realise that they can only do this with the help of the the Greek Andates, you know, the resistance, yeah. the Maki equivalent to the, the the Andates is the Greek name for yeah. sort of Maki or partisans yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And um, and so they decide to go for the night of the twenty fifth of November. <laughs> this is going to be like, which is after Operation Torch, let alone after Operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. After after yeah. Alamein. I mean, it's yeah. it's completely kind of you know, shutting the door after the horse has bolted. Yeah. Uh, um. But be that as it may, you know, that's what they do. And they realise that the, the bridge is, is protected both ends by about 80 Italian troops who are kind of, you know, low grade. There's a, there's a road that's parallel to it. Um, there's, a, there's a camp, little barracks where the Italians are. And they decided what they're going to do with their 100 ELAS um, troops and 100 EDS troops plus their own little group of SOE operatives. They're just going to attack both ends plus the road plus the Italian camp all at yep. once and just overwhelm them. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what they do. And um, it's incredibly successful. They kill 20 to 30 Italians. The um, the bridge is blown up. And um, <laughs> there's, a fantastic, there's a fantastic description um, by um, uh, um, Monty Woodhouse. He says, Two spans of the bridge rose up a few feet into the air and fell gently into the valley. Simultaneously, all the lights in Lamia, which is the nearest town, went out. From what cause I never knew, it could not have been the force of the explosion. Zervas, Aris and I joined hands and danced on our mound. Being three of us, we sang triumphantly as we danced a cleftic ball on the land of, uh, of the three lads of Volos. 
it was not very relevant, but it didn't have to be. So you have this image of these of 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 Monty Woodhouse, this yeah. sort of you know ascetic uh, um, British SOE operative, with these two barrel-chested, bearded resistance leaders, both of whom within six months are going to be absolutely at each other's throats and sworn enemies, but at yeah. this particular moment, dancing a jig and holding hands, and it's a kind of it's a it's a it's a fabulous image, yeah. but but. What is really interesting about this is is that immediately afterwards, um, the Italians go into Lamia, they seize 14 civilians, take them to the foot of the ruined viaduct and shoot them. Um, yeah. uh, the Italians are every bit as bad as the Germans when it comes to um, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, to, to atrocities in, in Greece, um, as yeah. are the Bulgarians, who've also been in on the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, everyone forgets about them, but they've been up in the north and they've been ceded lands and, and occupying troops at the top because Germany's not Germany's only interested in one thing, and that's basically um, raping Greece for all it can: money, yeah. Yeah. food, tobacco, shipping, literally anything it can get its hands on. Um, yeah. And in the first year of the occupation, some forty-one thousand people die of starvation. Yeah, in Greece alone. I mean, it is Jesus it is Christ. absolutely appalling, and. The number over a thousand villages are raised by the occupying forces yeah. between 1941 and 1944. A thousand villages, a million Greeks are left without homes because of this. That's all we got time for today. Um, we're going to be back on Thursday to talk more about Greece.